Welcome back to the Make Marketing Easy podcast. I'm your host, Joel Gaslin. This is episode number two, and I'm grateful you're back for another visit. We have an exciting show for you today, so let's get going. My guest today is Matt Jensen. Matt's the CEO of Vance Thompson Vision in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and also the owner of Matt Jensen Marketing in Sioux Falls. Matt's been a longtime friend and colleague in ophthalmology. It's been fun to watch he, Vance Thompson, John Birdall, Allison Tendler, and the other surgeons and physicians at Vance Thompson Vision become one of the premier LASIK and advanced cataract surgery practices in the United States. It's my great pleasure to have Matt on the program today. I'm grateful for his time and for also the insight that he offers in this episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Matt, thanks for being on the program. Well, thanks, Joel, and I appreciate you inviting me. Uh, we were talking as we were getting ready for this, how you know all we're doing during this podcast is talking about what, what we've been talking about our entire careers together anyway. And so, um, and so I appreciate that introduction and that you have dedicated some time and energy towards this podcast, which I think is a, a needed uh, tool and instrument and morsel of education uh, for folks in our industry and abroad on the purposes of uh, surrounding marketing and how it's changed. A little bit of, about my background is requested. You know, I'm the CEO of Vance Thompson Vision and have been uh, for the last uh, five years or so, but I've been around here really since 2004. And prior to that, for four or so years, was part of a um, you know, a, a direct-to-consumer marketing company in the Midwest that uh, worked mostly with healthcare, but also with some renewable energy and renewable um, fuel, and uh, also some outdoor recreation kind of companies. And so, marketing and communications have, have been part of my lifeblood, but never have they been more important than they are right now when it comes to this really underserved portion of of the GDP or of consumer spending, which is healthcare. Um, talking about marketing and really treating our patients as guests or customers is a concept that's really lost on a lot of people. And, and really, that's been uh, my life's work for the last decade and a half here at Vance Thompson Vision. And it's been something that's been extremely gratifying. Well, that's great. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. And, and that's, um, you know, it's one thing I, I've noticed you know, from you and from working with Dr. Thompson and, and, and the team for so many years, is I think one of Dr. Thompson's key insights early when he started Vance Thompson Vision was to have a person like you involved and not just be focused on the medical part of it. Because in my experience in traveling around the country and, and visiting with various offices and physicians, there, there's just a bit of a disconnect there sometimes. I think that a lot of people have just yeah, they become doctors and they believe that you know someone that they they treat sick people and while that's true, uh, there's also the the landscape is changing so much and which is really the genesis for why I want to do what I'm doing here with this is that there's there's sort of this line that's that used to be there between sort of selling and marketing and certainly no one likes to use the word selling in a, in the medical profession yet selling is a channel of marketing so it, it's. Um, I think that, that Vance's key insight of saying I have to have someone to help me on the commercial side of my business is and then having you as the person and then the subsequent team that you've built uh, is really what's led to a lot of your success. And I see people around the country who say, I just wanna I just wanna be a doctor and I don't wanna do any of that stuff and 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 I know that you 
and you can certainly refresh me on which year it was, but I know you were one of the really early people that started helping to teach me about the whole uh, experience economy. And I know you went and got certified by Pine and Gilmore mm-hmm. at the experience sure. economy. And, and, and I think the word experience is, is bandied about a lot these days. And, and so in your mind, what are sort of the, the tenets of a, a practice that really is committed to, to sort of an experience economy type of setup? How do you get started on that? And how do you, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, well, uh, so, so I think you bring up a couple of interesting points, Joel. And first of all, I think that a lot of practices um, do get it wrong in that they, they do want to be providers and they just want to focus on surgery. But, um, and, and Dr. Thompson and now the other surgeons, uh, Bertall and Greenwood and Tendler and Swan, uh, I think they get it right in that they, they understand uh, the fundamentals of their economic model. And that is in any service industry, and it's certainly this way in healthcare, but it's also legal services and accounting and, and uh, you know, any place where the top biller or the economic engine uh, spends some time one-on-one with the client or the customer, Anytime that that happens, there has to be somebody else left behind to stand in the gap and represent them to all of the other patients or customers or clients or team members to act in their stead. And I think that's one of the things that they saw was wise is, is they, they found someone, and it was me in this case, who learned quickly how to handle things the way they would when they're in the OR. So it doubles their capacity, and they've trained everybody on their team to act in such a manner and that's what they found extremely gratifying, I think, and uh, is that um, is that they can maximize their impact in that fashion. And so I think that that was that's kind of step one. Um, and, and and as it relates to your commentary about the experience economy, um, most of the things that make something experiential are operations based. The best way to create a customer experience that's memorable is to stage a bad experience. And we have, we have all had memorable experiences in healthcare that we have gone home and told our friends about or ranted about in social media or, to, you know, to others, uh, and, and, and it matters. And, and so um, when you just think of how intimate those interactions are uh, in healthcare and how the most fundamental things that you do day-to-day in a healthcare environment, um, you know, are, are intimate, it being experientially excellent means you have to be operationally excellent. And so by handling some of the more day-to-day or mundane things extremely well, like the phone and uh, the greet up front and and how you handle your materials you send out and how you greet people and walk them down the hallway once they're here, you know, and how you do the workup during the consultation and how you what language you use in the room and on and on and on down the line uh, to the non-fear-based language during surgery and afterwards with family members and friends. Uh, if it's very intentional, folks will walk away saying, I don't know what it was, but that felt different, that felt special, that right. felt like I was fussed over. Um, but when you look at it from from across the room, you'll see that all of the, all the tactics that were used were operationally based, right? You, you were training staff, you were using scripting, you were doing all the things that most businesses are pretty reluctant to do because they kind of already know how to run their business uh, in its current state. right. Yeah, that's great. So, I mean, what do you, th- so if you were to look at, you know, in the, um, what's 12 years you've been in ophthalmology now? Is that about right? Yeah, so since the end of 2003. 
Okay. What does that make it? So, four, yeah, about 13, yeah, so 14 13, years. Yep, 13 years, yep. Uh, what do you think has been the biggest change that you've seen? For, and, and, and I'm thinking about it from a sort of a commercial standpoint in, a, in running a practice. If you had to pick, say, this is the biggest, what do you think it is? Yeah, I think there really is an awakening right now with, um, with how people look at the uh, patient. Um, I remember in the early days where I was affiliated with a uh, health system, uh, it was very passe to call the patient the customer, and you even were very reluctant to say the word selling. And I think that that shift is happening, and they're in most of healthcare, and it's, it's not just ophthalmology. You know, we, we use these concepts in primary care, in dentistry, in dermatology, in orth, uh, orthopedic medicine, um, and so and they, they, it applies across the board. But what I think is happening is that the, because of the shakeup on the payer side of the equation, um, companies and doctors are starting to realize that the end user is not only the patient, they are the customer. But the payer system, I think, made us lose uh, our, our sight on, on who is actually paying the fee. And, um, and I think it's a good thing, though it's causing a lot of distress, the changes in the healthcare climate. It is reminding us who the customer is. And you start to see that language set coming out now in healthcare commentary, um, in point of care training. Um, and, and, and that's good. That's only going to be uh, good for, for the end patient. And it's only going to make doctors who don't pass um, the test of being you know, experientially excellent, um, they shouldn't be rewarded with more patients. Right. And so the great thing about experience-based or, or word-of-mouth marketing is it, is it makes good businesses do better, and it makes bad businesses who don't deserve the work um, go out of business. And that, that natural order of things um, is good uh, for the patient customer. Right. No, that's great. I, that's really great insight. It's uh, you know, it's going to be a fun next you know, 20 years in, in our business, especially that uh, with so many opportunities for new technology and opportunities for being able to sort of create your own vision and create vision that you've never had before in your lifetime and, and all of the options that are available out there. So it's really fun. So how do you think about Matt? Or you know, I, I know that Vance Thompson Vision, your practice, especially your, you have, you really have a, a long, um, no, long is not the right word. I would say a wide array of, of patient exposure. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've had the situation where I've, I've been talking with physicians about op- opportunities to grow their practice, and I and I ask them if they market cataract services to their LASIK patients and LASIK patients to their cataract surgeons. And more than one time, I've had a surgeon look at me and say, well, do you understand the age difference between those people? And my response is always, yeah, of course I do. Yet there's there's opportunities for sort of cross-pollination in there. So how do you how do you think about that? Do you use uh, email sort of database marketing and, and do you use a CRM system to keep track and sort of do that cross-pollination? Or how do you how do you think about that aspect of your business? Yeah. So, the, well, that's a really good question. And, and first of all, I think the, the short answer is we, um, we do all of that. Um, so, in, so the answer to your question when it comes to marketing is yes, we want to be an early adopter of all those messaging types and we want to be in front of people and, and be of value. But now the sober part of the response, and that's that we, um, we want to do it last and we, not first. And so we, we only market as um, we feel like marketing and you're talking to somebody who is, you know, who I have a marketing company that just specializes in these right. things. 
But we consider marketing and advertising to be a tax you pay for being unremarkable. Hmm. And so the idea is that in a continuum of really four things we work on, marketing is always what we do last. First, we work on day-to-day operations. How do we make the more mundane things that I already mentioned on this podcast, how do we make them more exciting and more um, fun and a better experience for not only the patient customer, but also our team. So our team has an outlook where they look forward to Monday morning. And that kind of culture is really contagious, and patients can hear that when they call in. And secondly, how do we then take all of those same elements, the phone, the front, the, the workup, the exam room, and how do we make it now not operationally excellent, but experientially excellent? And what's the difference between those things? And how do we just make it just something that they would go home and tell their friends about or that they would want to Facebook live um, you know, portions of their exam because it was so over the top? experientially. Right. And if we've done those two things, we, we are already hitting a home run. Those two things are hard in and of themselves. Then third, we work on our referrals. We work with, you know, referring eye care providers, sure. uh, referring businesses. Um, we work with networks of key opinion leaders to see if friends and family would send, you know, if, if that's a good way to secure new patients. And then last, and only when necessary, we go to the marketing world. Um, you know, we keep it. We keep in touch with all of our alumni because they'll tell our story sure. in a word of mouth fashion. Um, and but but I think that the, the real the real um, misconception out there in the world of healthcare is if you want more patients, you should just run more ads. Right. But what you and I both know is all that's going to do is make your phone ring. Right. And if your phone team's broken and your system's broken, you're you're running people off a cliff. Yeah. And you can never expect them to come back. So so you have to do it in reverse order. Right. You have to do it. Um, properly so everything uh you know works to your best benefit right and you and i have talked about this and you describe it really well and and getting the phone to ring isn't really very hard it's it's what happens when you get that phone to ring and what happens on the other end and and getting the phone to ring and you just write a check for it frankly and and like i tell so many people the sort of practice growth or uh, you know, business development in in the medical business to me is a lot like um, buying a gym membership. That you know you you can you can pay your membership every month, but unless you go and do the work every day and watch what you put in your mouth, you just won't see any results. So um, I, I think you you said that really well, and I really liked your your statement that you you view marketing costs as a tax on an unremarkable experience. Did I remember that correctly? That's right. That's yeah. right. It's the tax you pay for being unremarkable in yeah. those first three categories, yeah, right? That's and, amazing. I like um, that. When you look at it like that, uh, yeah. um, you know, that everybody would have this bent towards how do we spend less? What would we need to do here differently if we wanted to spend nothing? Right. Well, and that's, that's what we, an interesting provocation. Yeah, well, it is. And, and frankly, it's it's so counterintuitive to so many people, Matt, because as, as you know, and I know you have a, as you mentioned, uh, you have your role at, as a CEO of Vance Thompson Vision, also your own successful Matt Jensen marketing company that goes and helps practices to grow. And as you know, we at SitePath have our own little agency called SitePath Creative that we just work with in our own subset of clients. And we believe in exactly what you're saying. We believe in foundational elements within the practice and how are we doing what we say we're going to do and and do we have the necessary collateral within the practice just to help build referrals? Do we have the right, are we saying the right messages? Are we delivering the right experience? And so many times people say, well, just show me where to run an ad or show me where to, to place a billboard. And it's like, well, we just, we can't help you there. I mean, it's just, that's not, that's not where you right. start. And, 
and, right. and it can be a little frustrating for them and for us. And and frankly, we've had just only limited success with it because you know the the many of the clients we work with they're kind of good with just having what they have for their business. And LASIK is kind of a sideline of what they do. And, and they're a general, well-rounded, happily compensated ophthalmologist. And so they're kind of good with how things are. And we really try and evangelize the story that you may not be so good in 10 years when things are different and you haven't created the experience patients want and, and you know things start to change. But that's the subject of another. <laughs> well, the thing that's nice about that approach, Joel, is you, if you really pay attention to those first three categories first, what you haven't done is awoken the marketplace. You know, and so you, you haven't hmm. told all of your competitors what you're doing yet or yeah. what you're promoting yeah, or good how point. you're doing it. All you've done is treat, treat, treat your team, your referrals, and your, uh, uh, you know, your, your existing customers, all you're doing is treating them like gold. And as that starts to permeate, uh, the better you do at it, it's all of a sudden, you know, you're growing across town and nobody even knows why. And it's exciting. Yeah, I bet. Get, they, they, they lose the ability to mimic you. They lose the ability to respond. Uh, it, and it, it just drives people batty. And, and I'm not, I, I don't relish the competitive part of, of business, but it is interesting from just the market landscape, right. which is something that we study. Um, and so I, I just think that it's also, um, you know, it, it, when you talk about experiences, people tend to think, well, that's fluffy and there's no ROI. But we've been able to really define an ROE, a return on investment or a return on experience. Right. And in doing so, um, it is something where um, there's a market shift in, in the marketplaces that we work that is measurable. Well, you've certainly demonstrated that. You've, you've, uh, your success is... I think unparalleled in this area, and, and it's it's been really fun to watch. So, and you're all you're all good people too, and I think that that helps. So, <laughs> that, that for what that's worth. Well, thank you. Um, if I may, I, I'd like to shift gears just a bit, and I, I'd like sure. to get your take on um, on you know you have in, in the role that you play, Matt. You have a lot of sales reps who come and call on you, and over the years, you've met different people and and been involved in different things. In your mind, how who are the smart salespeople that are? And you don't have to use names. I mean, just sort of what the the people who you think are good in the industry right now and and good at sales and marketing. That so, who are those people, and and what are they doing that you think is interesting? Well, you know, we're in the Upper Midwest, and so the trick there is, um, as you know, because you used to you know call on our practice uh, back in the day. That's how we met, you know, fifteen years ago. Um, but uh, it, it, in our case, it's simply showing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the folks who come here once a year, you know, we have to remind ourselves who they are and remind ourselves who they work for and remind ourselves what that company does every time they come in, which isn't often. But the folks who are here every couple of weeks or every, you know, uh, every month, um, and they tend to be around and they really kind of have a servant mindset. They're, they're around to give tips. They've secret shopped us. They're giving us tips on our phones, giving us tips on how the greed was. Um, you know, they're, they're telling me things that they've learned across uh, the country uh, in just, you know, market outlooks. Sure. And, and um, I think the, the real key message for anybody who's calling on a practice is figure out a way to serve them on your way in the door. You know, always bring something, always clip an article, 
and, and then just show up about twice as much as you're required to. Right. And, and if you do that, things will start to work well for you. You just they, People will grow in their dependence on you. And I know that we looked at you uh, as a resource for what was happening in the world because our eyes are down. You know, our eyes are down and we're, in the, in, you know, we're, we're doing the work. And so I think that that's, that's my piece of advice for people approaching the practice. Listen, practices today uh, have an incredible amount of pressure on them. Right. You know, with, with, with new, new coding policies and new MIPS reporting and, you know, and, and uh, meaningful use strategies and EHRs. And now, now, you know, the pie that is cataract surgery is getting shrunk. But meanwhile, all the costs are going up and um, you can do the premium side, but there's a huge investment in the form of millions of dollars of capital and per use fees if you want to take a hard swing at that. And, and um, I, I can see why a lot of people would just put their hands up and say, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of done with all that. Right. Um, and so when, when a rep comes in from any company saying, hey, we've got this new thing that costs money that's going to um, help with all this, there's, there, there naturally is this, one, air of skepticism uh, because they're already overwhelmed, or two, um, this sense that even if we did get it, we've got, already got so much on our plate, we couldn't possibly get to the implementation part. And so uh, just really being mindful of how not only to sell, but how to implement and get things operationalized, I think it's critical for any rep of any company who supports a practice. Right. No, that's that's great. And I appreciate that insight. And, that, and you and I share that vision, and, and, and I do as the you know, leader of the SitePath sales and marketing team. What One of the things that that we've done is really shifted our, our, um, our focus to, you know, the majority of our sales team lives in Minneapolis and they travel into their territories and with defined travel plans on regular intervals with, um, you know, and we stay in touch via telephone webinars, trying to do things to add value and keep our, our, our name and, and frankly, some ideas and yeah. some, some thoughts in front of people without being intrusive and saying, Hey, I, I'm standing here in your lobby, and now you have to take 15 minutes to talk to me. Because while that works, you know, periodically, I think o- over time I can see where if I'm an ophthalmologist, there are only so many hours in a day, and you you very nicely laid out a lot of the challenges that are facing people. So you know, that's what we've started doing, and and the market seems to be responding to it too, pretty well. And there, in fact, you know, some recent data I've seen where the younger ophthalmologists prefer to be educated via white papers and contacted via uh you know email and and webinars and things like that rather yeah. than being interested or being sort of interrupted in the clinic so um you know that's that's what we're working well, you on know, it's interesting the, the 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 challenge to anybody who's calling on uh, their client or calling on uh you know a customer um or even sitting on a board um or participating in a meeting is this when the meeting is over the conversation is over you have to ask yourself this solemn question, and that is, did I bring any value? Yeah, yeah, amen. When you look at the average rate of pay of of ophthalmologists in this country, right, and you back that into what that hour costs them in productive time, and if they had a couple of staff members, you add their hourly rate of pay. And and next thing you know, you know, the little lunch you're holding with five or six people is the equivalent of $1,000. Yeah. And um, if if they had to write a check for it, would they? Yeah, and that's a that is question. a sobering thought. That's a really good way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. So I know one of the things you and I used to love to talk about when I did back in the day when I did call on you is we talk about different books that we were reading. So, uh, what books right. are you what books are you reading these days? You know, I just finished a great book called "Thanks for the Feedback," 
and it, it uh, again it was extremely sobering. Uh, you know, it's uh, um, we are just embarking on the feedback through social media world, and we know that our patient customers are there, and we've always had an approach to it. Um, uh, but I but um, how you handle the responsiveness to it, you know, so people would give us feedback online or give us a star rating. Sure. Using any one of many social media, and that's great. The question is, is how do you, in a in a regulated environment like healthcare, where there's protected information, how do you go about handling the one stars or the haters hmm. or the people who are negative, and how, who do you assign that to? And <clears throat> and this the book was extremely convicting on how to handle that. I just really found it um, to be one provocative and so it opened my mind that it needed to be a higher priority higher priority than I was making it and two um, once that provocation was made it became like a field manual on how to set it up so for anyone listening I, I think that that, um, th- that has been a real gear shift for our practice and how we have been responding to people's feedback online and you know you can go use the Vance Thompson vision uh, social media channels to to see how we're doing. We're engaging people. Yeah, you, know, you sure are. Complained about somebody got on and complained about wait time, and you know our response. And it should be nothing but oh wow, we are so sorry. We'd love to um, talk to you about that offline and see how we can you know recover some of your trust. Um, you know, and, and just to put it, just to say that much and leave a direct line and direct number and a title. Um, goes so far for others who might see that on the site and for the person who, who we offended, you know, because we want to respect people's time. Right. And so, um, but a lot of people get are very fearful. We are very fearful of engaging in social media because we feel like it'll spin outside of our control. Um, and so um, it, it's a pretty good tool. Uh, the, um, the author of it is Sheila Heen and Doug Stone. Okay. And, and uh, thanks for the um, feedback. book is... Yeah, thanks for the feedback. Okay, I'll um, put that in the show notes so people can get to it. Okay, super. Great. Yeah, that sounds like a, that's a great book. Uh, like you, I, I I'm still reading a lot of books, and, and I I'm a little behind on this one. But I read the Challenger Sale not not long ago. Did have you read that one? Oh yeah, Challenger Sale, great, right? Yeah, yeah. That, and what I loved about that one is you know how they uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable, and they talk about that. You know, the one thing you want to get someone to do is just say, "Gee, I hadn't thought of it that way." And 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 I, and I like that it's sort of a simple aspirational goal of a sales call to provide value enough that they someone says, "Hey, I hadn't thought of it that way," and then you've engaged them, and and so uh, I really like that one. So, um, all right. So, if you could be reincarnated as one business person, Matt, whom would it be, and what's one thing you do differently than they did? Oh, that's isn't that a good question? You know, oh, you know, Joel. One of the things that I think you and I appreciate about one another is that I've never spent a lot of time wanting to be in anybody else's shoes. I feel mm-hmm. felt pretty blessed to be in the shoes that I'm in. So I'm not sure that I'd want to come back as anybody else. Okay, you know, I like I, that. I have yeah. a mentor of mine once said uh, that there was a market opportunity that was completely blown. And I've never been able to get it out of my mind. I'll leave the mentor nameless, but I just don't want it to be credited back to me. But the notion that Domino's Pizza and Blockbuster Video never teamed up, um, you know, is is a, is a categorical crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, people were going to get their movie. Um, Domino's was already delivering to people's homes. 
Yeah. You know everybody renting a movie was ordering pizza anyway. Yeah. Um, that that seemed like a ready-made uh, M&A opportunity that would have probably changed the face of uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s when that they were the the, the norm. And so I, I just think that uh, um, looking back, you see some of those things and uh, through the lens of how people look at business now and see see the myth. Well, maybe Netflix, uh, well, they're cash. They, maybe Netflix should buy Domino's. They've got all that cash. They could put a pop-up that goes right in the middle of a movie that says, hey, push here for your pizza, and it shows up. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So. No, no kidding. I think that that's right. I think that, the, you know, the the biggest thing is creating new, new paradigms. You know, you asked mm-hmm. about books a minute ago. There's also a good book called Zero to One. And uh, just talking about the inertia that is stacked against people who create completely new categories versus people who, um, you know, create the second one in a category. Sure. A starting uh, a brand new category is gutsy and hard and makes you think laterally rather than directly. Um, that's by Peter Thiel and Blake Masters, but it's it's incredibly valuable talking about you know brand new paradigms. And this is what Apple is noted for, and and what Tesla is noted for, and what um, you know Uber is noted for is being first, right? The very first, and in a, in a whole new way of thinking. What do you about what, cost structure or paradigms? What do you think of Tesla's move to um, introduce that Model Three? I don't know about it, but. Well, so they've just introduced this Model Three that's a thirty-five thousand dollar Tesla, and it's it's you know, and what confuses me about it, Matt, is that you know the the big automakers, in fact, all the automakers have shown that you know they have to stratify the brand, otherwise you sort of dilute the one because all these people have paid seventy to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for these Teslas so far, and all of a sudden they have this these people who can go and have a Tesla for thirty-five thousand dollars and. And certainly, I'm no one to mm-hmm. to criticize Elon Musk. His success is 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 well validated. It's just it seems to me it's just an odd it's an odd thing. Now maybe you know Apple buys Tesla and all of a sudden. Now, well, Apple, I haven't followed yeah. it as closely as uh, as you already have. But if I were a gambling man or just looking from a side, I would say I would say that it's a strategic move to build infrastructure um, to get more units out to get more pulls, not necessarily to uh, create category mm-hmm. um, because right now Teslas are mostly mostly uh, purchased um, by the elite right? yeah right um, and and so um, until there's an economic viability for Johnny anywhere um, it can't really be something that um, that can scale internationally like I think Elon hopes now putting a mid-size family made family style, Dan out in the market will get that done in a hurry. If you've got the option of choosing a Tesla versus a Chevy Cruze, well, now yeah, you're right. It yeah. becomes a no-brainer. Yeah, and now yeah. we've got a pull everywhere, and uh, and there you go. And now what's interesting is you know Volvo announced yesterday that by 2019 all of their vehicles are going to be either electric or hybrid. So, and then right, and then Tesla's stock fell, I think, 14% on that announcement, which I sort of went, huh, okay, that seems to me it would validate what, but, you know, again, I, I don't, trying to, it's just, I'm more of a, an interested observer on that than knowledgeable enough to make a lot of good comments, so we'll stick to the, we'll stick to the script here, I guess, I'm sorry, I sort of, I sort of went, went down a rabbit hole there on that one, I'll, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up, I know you got stuff to do, so I, I'm, I'm grateful for your time, 
And, and I just want to give you the opportunity sort of at the end here, Matt, what's something that you're working on or promoting right now that you'd like to talk about and how did you get started with this project? Well, one of the things that I think is um, really, one of the things I get excited about, Joel, is how to apply these fundamentals that we've learned about and that we've discussed here, you know, operations-based mm-hmm. um, approaches, experience-based approaches, um, working on KOLs and referrals, and then handling the marketing is applying them to other concepts. So, you know, our marketing company applies these same principles to nonprofits that are doing, you know, ministry-based, gospel-oriented work, sometimes overseas, sometimes domestically, sometimes in inner cities. Um, it can be applied to healthcare, um, you know, which is a, you know, even beyond B2B, it's, there's a payer, there's a complication sure. of customer base. Um, the, you know, the, the whole system's in flux. It can be applied to the financial industry. It, it, it's it's um, pretty unilateral how fundamentals can be applied. And so when it comes to thinking about experiences, um, it really emboldens the folks who are working on it. Right. Because it's just, it's, it's a fun work to do. Because all you have to do is treat people great and create systems around treating people great, which makes the people doing the treating feel great and it makes an environment great to work in right and so um not so it's good business and so i think that's what i would leave you with is that when you when when people apply these principles and what i get excited about about the future of our companies that we're affiliated with is that um if they apply these principles bar none life's better for them Hmm. and their customers amen amen and so it's really good business but um but beyond that it's also just the right thing to do Right. It's the right way to treat people. Right. And so uh, so we get excited about that. That's the mission we're on. We feel like it's um, good business and part of our calling. I appreciate you having me on today. Matt, I can't thank you enough for being on the program. It's always a pleasure to get caught up. Love hearing about the things you're working on and thinking about and what you and the other folks at Vance Thompson and Matt Jensen Marketing are doing to help make uh, the commercial aspects of ophthalmology and, and just sort of the world in general a better place. So... Thanks again for listening to the Make Marketing Easy podcast. I'm grateful you were here, and I hope you enjoyed our visit with Matt Jensen. Please remember to go to iTunes, and if you like the show, please give us a good rating. It really helps get it out there. Thanks. Until next time, I'm your host, Joel Gaslin, and remember, make marketing easy.